How is everybody? You're awake, you're here, that's good. Yay! This is uh, probably the, the day we change to daylight savings time is one of my least favorite days of the year. Because I like that sleep time <laughs> and I miss it when we don't have it. But we're here and it's good and um, it's just good to be together. I feel like you're all very far away though. So. <laughs> so, I was when the power went out this morning, I was afraid I was going to have to stand here with my flash and my phone and the flashlight on my phone to read my notes today, so I was really glad when it came back on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you consider yourself a person of faith? Well, it can be a tough question for some of us. Faith is defined as a firm persuasion, a conviction based on trust rather than concrete proof. Hey, little one. What's her name? Caroline? Hi, Caroline. <laughs> yeah, she's got good hair, too. Do you consider yourself a person of faith? Now, I would have to answer that question yes and no sometimes. In some things, I have absolutely no doubt. I have no doubt but that God is creator. I have no doubt but that he loves his creation. He demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I believe that with my whole heart. There is no doubt. I believe with all that I am that it's his desire that we are with him for all eternity, and all eternity begins right this very moment. Those things, I have no doubt. My faith, however wavers a bit on some of the I know God can but will he things anybody there with me like I know he is the God who heals so why didn't he I know that he will provide all of our needs but what if my idea is of need is different than his I know that he will never leave us or forsake us. But sometimes it feels like he's really, really absent. For some, faith is basic to who they are. It just, it comes naturally. It's just, it just is. For some, have faith and don't doubt is a real struggle but it's a struggle worth engaging. We've been, um, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Jim started us in um, the Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. And um, we looked at verses 1 and 2 that said, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
And so today we're going to start with verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. In other words, God created, he created everything, and he created everything out of nothing. It wasn't that he he started with a, a handful of stuff and and made everything out of that. No, he created everything out of nothing, just with his word. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Now, this verse does not mandate belief in a 24-hour, seven-day creation. And some of you may be going, did the pastor just say that? (laughs) Maybe that is how God created. Maybe it's exactly how he created. Or maybe not. After all, the sun and the moon do not show up in the Genesis creation story until day four, a whole day after the plants and trees appeared. Now, could God do it that way? Absolutely. Did he absolutely have to do it that way? He could do it any way he wanted. The verse doesn't require that we believe in a literal 24-hour, seven-day creation. It does require in a belief that God is creator and that nothing exists outside of his design. By faith, we understand that this is God's world, his galaxy, his universe. He made it. And it is to be treated and used not as we may like, not as we think is maybe appropriate, but as God would have us use it, which is generously and wisely and without exploitation. God created and called his creation good. He called it very good. And we, by faith, are to treat it as such. Because by faith, we understand that God created. Once we get to that point, the author of Hebrews gives us a long list of faithful people. And we're not going to go through all of them today. That's for Sundays to come. But we're going to look at three today. So if you can uh, look at, oh, you know what? I had a sermon handout. It was a lovely one. It was all done. And then the power went out. So it didn't get copied. So you don't have it. So, um, But if you had it, Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith. Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. We find Abel's story in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Again, that was in your sermon notes. Um, But you can write it down and look it up later. Genesis 4. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Both brothers brought offerings to the Lord. And in Genesis, uh, the Bible tells us that the Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but not on Cain's. 
And we don't know why. The Bible never tells us why God looked on favor on Abel's and not on Cain's. We do know that Cain responded in a rage. He was furious. He was furious enough to attack and kill his own brother. And you think about that for a minute. By faith, Abel was commended as righteous, spoken well of by God himself, and yet it did not prevent him from becoming the first murder victim. Don't we sometimes think that if, if we're living right with God and we're obeying that things ought to go well for us? Faith in God, even having God's full approval, is not a guarantee that harm will not find us. Disappointment, hardship, even tragedy still happen to people who are right with God. Bonnie was reminding us today in Sunday school class of how so many Christians in the world today are being persecuted in in drastic, dramatic form, um, just persecution that we can't even hardly imagine. And yet it's going on today to people who are right with God, who love God with all their hearts, and they're being persecuted simply because they love God. Suffering is a consequence of living in a fallen world, and God's people are not exempt. But by faith, we know that God remains with us, that he loves us, that his grace is sufficient even in the midst of our suffering. A, a verse that I have recently really come to start to appreciate is in Philippians chapter 1, and it says, it has been granted to us on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And as I, as I was studying that verse, it has been granted to us on his behalf. It has, it's a gift to us not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for him. I don't get that completely. But yet that's what the Bible tells us. The good news is we do not and we will never suffer alone. He is with us, just as he was with Abel. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Faith-filled Abel was the first murder victim. <coughs> Enoch lived six generations later, and he was the first human to be taken directly to eternity with God without first experiencing death. 
Abel was the first one to be murdered. Enoch never died. God just took him. Enoch's story is found in Genesis chapter 5, and it's short enough that I'm going to read the whole thing. In Genesis 5, starting with verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch walked with God. It's the same Hebrew word that's used that talked about when God walked in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the evening. This is a good thing, to walk with God. Enoch pleased God. He experienced an intimacy with God that, that interwove into every single aspect of his life. He ate with God. He worked with God. He played with his kids with God. He tended his animals or harvested his crops or whatever his, his vocation was. He did it all in the very concrete awareness of the presence of God with him. All of his life was arranged around God. Enoch was so connected with God that when he was a mere 365 years, God took him. He was taken. Now, this Greek word that, that we translate as he was taken literally means transported. And if you're even close to my generation, you cannot help to think about being transported without thinking of this. Zach, can you show the clip, please? Enterprise. Transporter room, energize. Now, I'm not sure that's exactly how God took Enoch, but it's, it's the same word, and it's the, the first thing I thought of when I was, was studying this is, beam me up. God took him. He was no more on this earth at 365 years. Now, that seems pretty old to us, but in the generations before, Genesis records that people lived 900 years or more. Enoch's father, whose name was Jared, lived to be 962 years old. So God took Enoch when he hadn't even reached middle age yet. Now, we all have people in our lives, people that we love, people that we know, who, in our opinion, left this earth far too soon don't we? We can all think of somebody, probably several somebodies, who in our opinion left this earth far too soon. 
from our perspective, they seem to have missed out on so much life, so much joy, so many opportunities to serve the Lord. I've, I've heard that so many times. Um, a friend, Jocelyn, passed away. And it felt like it was far too soon because she was probably one of the most gentle, godly women I'd ever met in my life. And she had so much influence on so many people's lives. And it's like, God, why did you take her? It's too soon. And I can't help but think, if people were living to be over 900 years old and Enoch was only 365, His family was, parents were still alive. His grandparents were still alive. His children were still needing to be raised. Why did God take him? But perhaps our perspective is too limited. When, when someone leaves this earth, whether it's Enoch that God transported him or whether it's someone who passes away if they know and love the Lord have they really missed so much we miss them but have they really missed so much because yes I believe God wants us to enjoy this life I believe he wants us to love our family and our friends but is it possible that perhaps we sometimes hold on to this life a bit too tightly. Because the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God. And at just the right time, at just the right time, he was taken from the earth. God took him to himself. We'll come back to verse 6, but I want to look at verse 7 real quick. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of, of the righteousness that is keeping with faith. Now, Noah's story is found in Genesis 6 through 8. Noah was Enoch's great-grandson. Enoch walked with God, but by Noah's time, humankind had become completely corrupt. Um, Genesis chapter 6 tells us that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Did you get that? Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. That's a sobering verse. There was so much evil that God regretted even creating human beings on the earth. And his heart, God's heart was greatly troubled. But, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Enoch walked with God. Noah, his 
great-grandson walked with God. But because the world was so corrupt, because humankind was so corrupt, a grieving God told Noah that he would put an end to the corruption. God would destroy the earth with a flood, and only Noah, his family, and the animals that were gathered into the ark would be saved. A hundred years later, just a mere little bit of time, a hundred years later, when Noah was 600 years old, they entered the boat, God shut the door, and it began to rain. And Genesis 7 tells us that everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Noah was righteous. He was blameless. He was faithful. He took God at his word. Noah believed God's promise and warning about what was going to happen, and he took action based on what God had told him. And Noah was saved because of his faith. But it certainly was not without significant cost. Now, Um, it took a hundred years to build the ark that God designed. A hundred years of hard work while living among desperately wicked people. Now, none of us are a hundred years old. <laughs> so it's far beyond any of our lifetimes that Noah was actually constructing the ark and living among these desperately wicked people. And that not only meant a hundred years of ridicule, because to this point there had been no rainfall on the earth. And so here was Noah a long ways away from any water building a great big boat. People had to have really ridiculed him. So he put up with a hundred years of ridicule and a hundred years of persevering in his righteousness in the midst of everyone else's utter corruption. But it also meant a hundred years of knowing that all these people were going to die. And if God's own heart was filled with grief and pain, and because Noah was a righteous man who walked with God, it stands to reason that Noah's heart grieved as well. After all, some of these people were his neighbors. People that he knew well, people that he interacted with every single day. Some of them were his own extended family. If you do the math in Genesis, Noah's father passed away just five years before the flood. So he was one of those desperately wicked people. Methuselah, 
Noah's great or Noah's grandfather. Methuselah was Enoch's son. He was Noah's grandfather. He was also the man that lived the longest as far as the records are concerned. Methuselah lived 969 years. Methuselah died the same year the flood came. Noah's own father, Noah's own grandfather were some of those desperately wicked people. And Noah knew they were going to die. Some of the people were the families of his son's wives. Yes, they were wicked, but don't every one of us know and care for people who are stuck in their own wickedness? We do, don't we? We have people we love who are far from God, who are living in rebellion to God, and we care about them. Noah had to have cared, knowing they were going to die. Think about it. By faith, Noah trusted and obeyed God wholeheartedly, even while his heart ached, because he couldn't change what was going to happen. Are we, by faith, trusting God with the people that we love who are so far away from him? Do we faithfully obey whether anyone else does or not? Well, in the weeks to come, we're going to look at other men and women of faith. Abraham and Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, and many more. But I want to finish today with verse 6 of chapter 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Abel pleased God. By faith, Enoch pleased God. By faith, Noah pleased God. Do we? Do we please God? Are we living by faith? Do we walk with God? Are we right? Righteous? Just as it should be with God? As I was Thinking about this this week, I couldn't help but think of the dad in Mark chapter 9 who brought his, his son to Jesus to heal. His son was possessed by a demon. And for Jesus and um, Peter and James and John had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and so they were, they were away. But the, the father had brought his son, and, and since Jesus wasn't there, he asked Jesus' disciples, the ones that were there, please heal my son, and they couldn't. And so when Jesus and, and Peter and James and John came down off the mountain, and the father came, the dad came to Jesus, and he said, my son needs to be healed, please heal him. 
Your disciples couldn't do it, but will you please do it? And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, do you, you know, do you have no faith? And the dad looked at Jesus and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when it comes to being a person of faith, I'm right there. Lord, I have faith. Help my weak faith to be stronger. Help my weak faith to be stronger. This is a prayer God is pleased to answer. We must believe in God. We must believe that God cares, that he loves us. We must believe that no matter no matter the circumstances, even if my brother wants to kill me, no matter the timing, even if, even if I think it's not time yet, even no matter the grief when my heart is broken for things that I cannot change and people that I cannot change, we must believe that God is with us and that he is good. Are we earnestly seeking him? He says that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And you know what he rewards us with? One of the things is he rewards us with is faith. He takes our little tiny faith and makes it stronger. But are we earnestly seeking God, not just for the reward, but because he is our God? Because God promises in Jeremiah 29, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Lord, I have faith. Help my weak faith to be stronger. Let's pray. God, I don't know what to say other than we just, we need you. We need you all the time. Thank you for promising to be there. Thank you that you don't just promise it, but you, you live up to your promise. You are with us. You are with us when, when life is as good as it gets. And you're with us when life is harder or more confusing or more than we think we can possibly endure. You are here and you are God, and you are good, and you love us. May we walk with you today. We long to hear the words that you are pleased with your good and faithful servants. God, I pray, let it be so. 
We pray this in the name of the one who makes it possible, our Savior Jesus Christ, who loves us and died for us so that we can live with you forever. Amen. As we go into communion, and I have lost my scripture, I apologize. The bread represents Jesus' body which is broken for us. As we eat it, let's remember who he is and what he did for us. The juice represents his blood, which was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible tells us that we are to take it and drink it, remembering what he did. Remembering with godly sorrow, but also with great joy. <laughs> 